Están escuchando el viaje medianoche con el gran Guillermo. Este cinefilo lo va a llevar fantasmal por mías y mías. guys it's that time of year it's the black and orange season in fact it's almost the end of the black and orange season um this is kind of falling into my lap for those that don't know and maybe you're getting this in the feed they're new subscribers to the show or new listeners the midnight ride is an offshoot show that i do when i have some time to get um a few films talked about uh, in a less kind of uh, less production values and just kind of one man show and I uh, tend to just get a few things out kind of on the quick and dirty. Um, and for the past few Halloweens, I guess this is the third anniversary of doing this. I've asked friends with great taste, members of the community, to program some horror films of sorts, whatever they interpret that term horror to mean, um, to program my month for me. I think the first year I did 21 films, and last year I did maybe 15, and now I'm down to 12. I wanted to do 13, but... Just timing. I, this month itself, just to be honest, feels like it's really... Um, I can't believe there's only three days left. I'm recording this on the 28th, so the plan is to get uh, three episodes out or four episodes out uh, in successive days for you all, for your listening pleasure or displeasure. The first episode uh, of the season will see me covering three films uh, by three very good friends of the show, uh, and I believe... Um, yeah, all of these have had some tie into the community for quite some time. Uh, first up on the the show is as a film that um, someone who's been on our show uh, somewhat re- frequently, not frequently. Man, I'm botching it. I have no excuse. Normally, when I record, I'm recording in the in the early mornings, and uh, I'm recording in, in the middle of the day here, so I shouldn't be bumbling and stumbling. But uh, it's a man who's been on our show recently. George Pacheco, uh, film critic, music critic, blogger, writer, community member, extraordinaire. And his pick uh, was Demon Six, uh, or The Black Cat, um, directed by Luigi Cozzi. Now, uh, this is a film that I had never seen. I'm a huge fan of the first two Demon films, but as we've gotten further away from those, it seems as if, as is true to form with Italian genre film, um, they've decided to expand the franchise in as tenuous, uh, tenuously linked a way as they can. So this one, um, 
I guess it, you know, in defense of this film, they kind of try to, I guess, to have some of the original sort of the theme and and the uh, the vessel that um, helps to uh, to chug things along and get get things started off here, being a film or the sort of meta of even evil character in a film um, and evil being spread through that. Uh, instead of with Demons 1, where we saw it was spread through them watching the film, this one is spread through the production of the film, through um, what they reference as the, the Three Mothers, which, of course, anyone who's familiar with Argento will know of his uh, Three Mothers trilogy. So I think at this point, and I could be wrong, but I want to say that I've read somewhere that, because uh, Kotsi, if memory serves, runs the Profondo Rosso store in uh, in Rome for Dario, um, or it's it's it, or it is another director, but I want to say it's Kotsi. And um, I guess at this point, no one knew if Dario was ever going to really complete the uh, the Mother's trilogy. So I wonder if this this is in some way loosely third Mother's uh, trilogy. Uh, a third of the Mother's Trilogy, of course, uh, after Suspiria and Inferno. Um, now, I, true to be truthful here, I've never seen uh, Demons 3 through 5, so I can't speak to their quality. They may be fantastic for what they are. Um, but this film opened, and Kotsi's a director too, we should say that, you know, uh, he's pretty fun. Um he came kind of at a time when money had dried up in Italy in a lot of ways, but he still put it out there uh, and tried to get some films done. You know, he did Contamination, which we've covered on the show, which is fun. Hercules, Star Crash, which is fun. Um, Sinbad. So he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's worked. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he just, his unfortunate thing was he was working in the 70s. He couldn't quite cash in and be as prolific as... I'm sure he would have liked at the time, and then by the time he kind of found his footing through the 80s, the money had dried up, it was being put into TV and and so forth. But, um, yeah, uh, Edgar, Allan Pro, Edgar Allan Poe is credited, because this is The Black Cat, of course, or based on that in some regard. Uh, it features a pretty good Euro cast in some ways. You get uh, Carolyn Monroe, who's, who's a pro. Uh, you get Brett Halsey, who's done a number of films over in Italy. Urbano Barbinieri. Who um, he uh, he's obviously an Italian actor. He's worked a fair bit. He was in the original Demons. Bring it full circle. He's worked. He was in opera. So he's uh, you know he's a pro. Uh, Florence Guerin, who I believe was a Spanish or Brazilian. No, she was French. Uh, French actress, um, as well as uh, a few other actors. Giacozzi, which I obviously is related to. Um, Luigi Cozzi, presumably maybe a daughter. Um, so yeah, uh, this film opens up. It's got some hard licks, some hot licks, and a hard cut from sort of a 2001 nod uh, to some really heavy hot licks. And uh, it opens. The first thing I kind of I admired about the film was that it opens with this kind of. If you've seen Moon in the Gutter, the French film with Depardieu, this kind of artifice in in an alleyway. It, it's it seems very aware of its own artifice and. And then we get a blood and black lace kind of killer and some Suspiria kind of gels. And it just seems like this meta... And it reveals itself to be a filming of a film. So we get this kind of meta movie within a movie. And then as the viewer is the movie, 
Easter eggs uh, that we get, which is kind of a nice little thing. Coetzee's not just a hack. I think he has some love for, um, you know, for the history of Italian film and film in general, certainly. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's good. And, uh, one thing I do, I've noticed, it seems like with every eighties Italian film that I've watched, there seemed to be a fixation with, uh, the films to, to shoot a lot of Dutch angles. So I don't know what that was. It just stylistically, they, they wanted to make that choice to convey sort of an off kilter sense, but it seemed to be really prevalent in a lot of eighties Italian stuff. Um, what else was prevalent in this time in the, uh, I don't know if I said the year that this was released, but, uh, this is 89. So uh, probably shooting in 88, I guess, or they shot quick. So maybe it was 89, but there's some hot, there's, uh, there's some bottle feeding done. Like a baby's being bottle fed to some, some hair metal, which is, which is pretty amazing. And that kind of ties in with my next note, which is there's no subtlety with some Italian films, which is great because, yeah, the mileage is going to vary with Italian film. Uh, love it or hate it, but, you know, they keep their foot on the gas a lot of times. Uh, they're not as, you know, maybe as nuanced at times as French filmmakers or other filmmakers, German or so forth, but they keep their foot on the gas and they just go. And for me, that works. Um, so, uh, to move along here, the film, you know, is talking about, of course, the this film production. And I, I want to say, you know, despite being the sixth film or the sort of tenuously linked fifth sequel in a series, um, I think the acting is more than adequate for this film. I think it's, it's, it's not as bonkers as you get with a Matei or someone else. I think it's certainly adequate. Um, and Lavana, the, uh, the third witch, she's, she's supposed to be... Um, the uh, the scariest of the three mothers, I believe, the most intense, kind of nasty, and um, I have a note here, and it's been a while since I saw this. I tried to get the jump on the month, and it says uh, she must have. There must have been a jump scene where she springs out. Oh, and her pussy. <laughs> forgive this. Her pussy's spitting out green and red gloop with some hot licks playing so uh yeah so you know again that ties in with what uh, what the italians love to do they love to give hot licks to the hot lick i guess but uh <laughs> you know uh it is what it is um the film has a very much a fairy tale and dreamlike or dream within a dream feel much like sort of new nightmare and some of this stuff but i mean it's a device that a lot of filmmakers have been using through the 80s and 90s as genre film became more aware of its past and viewers became more aware and filmmakers were more aware of uh, their audience and what they'd consumed. They couldn't quite lift from films as, as easily without sort of saying, Hey, we're being meta here. We're, you know, we get it. Um, so yeah. Uh, and the, uh, <laughs> I think it's Halsey. Uh, if memory serves, he plays, I don't know if it wasn't Halsey, but there's a dude in this. He's a studio. Uh, he's like a producer, and he fucking hates all the mumbo jumbo. It is Halsey. He hates all the mumbo jumbo that goes into films and scripts, and it's uh, it's a it's a pretty amazing scene when they're going to get this film made. And I wonder if that, they had based that on an American financier or producer or someone. But uh, it's pretty awesome to see how much he just hates everything to do with the act of making a film. Um, that's pretty amazing. Uh, another thing too, I really like about this film is I feel like the, the actors commit, which I talked about sort of the filmmakers going for it, but I feel like the actors really commit to this and 
you know, it's 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 a pretty intense scene. As much as maybe it seems a bit ridiculous, I think Coetzee's made a fine European horror film here. Um, the camera moves around, it pulls and it zooms, and we get some really good architecture. And the film's never boring, and I think that's one of the reasons a lot of us love Italian films. When you when you have a junky film, the biggest crime it can commit is is being boring. And this, for never a moment, is boring. It's stylish. It's insane. Um, it's just got a lot going on. And there's some pretty good sound design, too. There's a heart exploding out of a chest, which Coetzee loves the chest bursting, as we've seen in Contamination. And uh, even right down to, like, an apple being eaten in the film, the, the sound design, it sounds silly to say, but it's really good. Um, we get to uh, Coetzee kind of lifting from Videodrome and Poltergeist with some spirits communicating via a TV and... This gloop comes out of the TV, and it looks pretty pretty gross. And it works well, though. I mean, it's effective enough. Um, I feel like as I've gotten older, my penmanship clearly has gotten worse as I'm reading these notes. Um, Monroe in this. Uh, at this point, she's a little bit older. You know, she had done a lot of work in the 60s and 70s in Italy, but by this point, I mean, she's, she's a coog, and she's really cooging it up at the back end of this film, kind of the old faded starlet, which, uh, which she's good in the role. I mean, she fits the role. Um, and I love too the there's sort of this this caves of this film set, and I think it just adds to the feel. This this is an atmospheric film, you know, despite some of its you know perceived shortcomings. It works for me. Um, and what else works for me is is the Kelly Monroe bathtub scene with some acoustic eighties rock montage. It's uh, it's awesome. Um, we get uh, instead of Betty Davis eyes. She's got Indonesian laser eyes, which is uh, which is amazing. Um, I love laser eyes, and if a film can give me rotoscope lightning, it doesn't matter if it's our regular show or my own show. I get the uh, the whistle. So Italians are really pushing it here. They're going for it. They don't care if the effects look whatever ropey. They're going to still push them out there for you. Um, so the final is great. I mean, it's intense sort of space and time imagery and hot licking and, and a really great freeze frame. So all in all, this is, uh, this is a good film. I mean, I really like it. It's, a, it's as we use for the, uh, the midnight ride parlance, it's a treat. Um, I'm going to take a short break and I will be right back to talk about Jeremy, fellow Canuck, Jeremy's pick of nightmare at noon. We'll be right back. That ring of your phone could be the ring of terror. The killer got his kicks from making telephone calls to beautiful girls. He staked out model agencies, picked the most beautiful, followed them home, and then closed in for the kill. See the full story in the new shock motion picture. Don't answer the phone. He is out there somewhere. His next phone call could be to you. Don't answer the phone. Rated R. Under 17 must be accompanied by parent or guardian. And we're back on the ride. Okay, so it's time to get into <laughs> Nightmare at Noon, a.k.a. Death Street, USA. So they try to one-up Bad Street, and they go to Death Street, where it's even nastier and hotter. Um, this film was programmed by fellow Canuck in our nation's capital, Jeremy. He has an amazing Tumblr. I believe it's Canadian Werewolf. Um, he's a man with impeccable taste, especially when it comes to trash cinema. Uh, so if he says something, I, you know, I tend to listen. I wanted to see what he would pick this year when we uh, when we were getting around to programming for the uh, the ride. So, um, 
another film I hadn't seen, which is the theme here. Now, I do want to say before I forget, and I'll try to mention this when possible, Demon 6 is on YouTube, as is Nightmare at Noon. That's how I watched both. So uh, Death Street USA, or Nightmare at Noon, kind of a generic title, but I feel like it works. Um, and it's interesting when I talk about this film, because this is kind of a horror, western, um, sci-fi hybrid. And, you know, Nightmare at Noon, that title kind of evokes all that, I guess. Well, maybe not so much sci-fi, but um, it's directed by Nico Masterakis, who... <laughs> Is pretty infamous, and we'd had him on on the regular show uh, recently um, for another one of his films, which we've uh, which we covered, which of course Island of Death. So yeah, this uh, <laughs> this film's got a pretty incredible cast um, in terms of a Fantastic Four, if you will. It's got four GGTMC favorites, uh, including you know someone who's in our pa- our hall uh, sort of. Arguably Mount Rushmore, maybe not quite on Mount Rushmore, but he's, he's right there, a guy that we re- were big, big, big fans of on the show. That's Wings Hauser. So Wings shows up. We get Bo Hopkins. We get George Kennedy uh, as a sheriff, never afraid to cash a check. We get Brian James as an albino alien. Uh, he's the heavy in the film. So, I mean, that's a pretty amazing uh, front four. And if you can tell, or if you can't tell, I'm smiling as I talk about it. And I do want to say, too, I want to give it up for Kimberly Beck. She's, uh, you know, pretty, pretty, she's a veteran. I mean, she, she did a fair bit of TV work and did some some horror stuff uh, in between. Um, so, you know, she knew what she was doing. She did Massacre at Central High and you know, she did Roller Boogie, a Friday the 13th film somewhere in there. She did Messenger of Death. Um, you know, so she's, you know, she's worked. She's worked. So... Um, the premise for this, also, I didn't even synopsize Demon 6, but that's how I roll. Uh, scientists poison the water supply of a small town, turning the residents into homicidal maniacs who kill each other and anybody who passes through. So, yeah, this is a film that obviously is riffing a little bit on the crazies, it feels like. Um, so you got that kind of going for it. I'm not a big fan of the crazies, which is, uh... You know, a lot of people dig on it, but I, I just, I'm not a fan for some reason. I love Georgie Romero, but that's just one, you know, I like some of his other stuff that's non-zombie, but that's one that for some reason felt really flat for me. Um, it says scientists in the synopsis, but I think they're more alien scientists than anything. Um, because it opens up and, you know, James is this albino kind of lab coat wearing uh, scientist. So, hang on, there's the message. Let me pause the recording because I'm a pro. All right, so let's get back into this. Apologies for that. Um, so, yeah, it's a uh, an albino Brian James in a lab coat on a spaceship. And Hans Zimmer scored this film, which is pretty amazing. Hans Zimmer, not maybe one of my favorite composers, but, I mean, he's a pretty big name in the world of, of uh, composition. I mean, he's, he's done a lot of work... Uh, a lot of big films, I mean, big films, you know, Dark Knight, Inception, he works obviously a lot with uh, Nolan, he's on Disney work, through the Pirates films, and Lion King, and I mean, he's, you know, he's he's high profile, man, he's high profile. Um, a lot of times with villains, you know, you get, you get beard stroking or mustache twirling, but Brian James strokes his soul patch approvingly in this film, which is awesome, and these aliens, they're really low tech, which, uh, 
unfortunate. You know, they come to invade a planet, and you got to try to trump the technology if you're going to try to invade it. But yeah, it is what it is. Uh, we get Sheriff George Kennedy, and I have to wonder at this point. You know, I feel like George Kennedy plays a sheriff in so many films and so many small towns. If he kind of brings his own costume to the uh, to the films, because I mean, he's always playing the sheriff, whether it's in stuff like Tick 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 with Jim Brown, which is actually an amazing film and a really good Kennedy performance. If you can seek it out, but, uh, he's got, he's a sheriff in this again. And, uh, it's amazing. Now wings, uh, wings. The thing I love about wings, uh, is that wings can play the cop on the edge. He can play a bit of a scumbag. He is not, he doesn't. And I think the, the, the problem is sometimes people think that maybe he has too much vanity to play a character that's a bit of a pushover or has a few warts, so to speak. And he's not afraid to do that because in this he plays a, uh, a lawyer who's, um, you know, he's, he's a bit of a kind of, he's not the tough guy of the film. I mean, that goes to Bo Hopkins. But Wings is kind of the, the sidekick kind of lawyer in this. He's got a, an RV, him and his girl are going across country. And I'll tell you what, though, his girl needs to work on her uh, culinary game because... She's feeding wings microwave croissants, and he fucking hates microwave croissants in this. He does not get down with the reheated pastries. He, uh, it's not good at all, man. Um, <laughs> Brian James, this is probably, I think this is the second time uh, during this whole run of the minute ride. I feel like someone's makeup at times has been in, inspired by um, Brando's infamous island of dr moreau look i feel like james is really pushing that here which is kind of bizarre but amazing at the same time um so yeah this uh these i feel like i'm doing that a lot forgive me for that this isn't very fluid my apologies the there's the film's progressing and we get a, a pretty amazing stabbing in the hand of a nurse and uh at a restaurant i think no less but the uh <laughs> The staff of this restaurant are clearly trained in like hazmat and health and safety because her hand gets bandaged up really good, really quickly. So I'm glad that their training has paid off. Uh, 18 vans for everyone in this film. I feel like there's an abundance of 18 vans, which is great. Uh, and I want to say too, I want to give it up to um, the writers. Well, I guess Master Rack is Kirk Ellis, who also co- let me see what Kirk Ellis has done. Ooh, not a lot, man. Yeah, he hasn't really done a lot of genre stuff, but um, between him and Masterakis, what they did with with the deputy sheriff in this is uh, they give her uh, it's it's Kennedy's daughter, and I think they give her a pretty good performance for you know a bit of a dick swinging kind of low budget action film. She's cute, but she's not useless at all. She's really. She's good. I mean, she's a, she's good kind of sidekick, uh, competence, you know, saves the bacon a few times. And yeah, no, she's good in the film. So I want to give it up for that. Um, they must have shot this thing in the Southwest, you know, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, somewhere like that. And they get really good production value from where they're shooting with the deserts and the kind of uh, the landscape and stuff. It, it looks fantastic. And in some ways, too, I think um, another film this reminds me of is it's kind of like the hillbilly version of The Hidden, that really amazing um film where the aliens come here and it's got Michael Newry and uh, Kyle MacLachlan where the aliens have taste for hard rock and Italian sports cars. Um, this feels kind of like a hillbilly hidden in some ways. So, 
Um, yeah, it's uh, it and and as such, you know, much like Hidden, I think this one's pretty pacey. It's you know maybe not true horror in some ways, but it certainly I think it fits into that that hybrid I talked about, and I think it's a pretty fun, steady film uh, from start to finish. And this would be a good one for you know the Silver and Gold Boys during their actiony, horror-y Halloween stuff that they tend to do. Um, there's a great uh, a great quote that I, I have to think that Wings must have uh, improvised, but he, I think there's, he he comes in and he says, "Forgive my ignorance on rural celebrities, but who the hell's Floyd?" I would care name Floyd, and then he says, uh, "I think this is him." Uh, <laughs> They say about, you know, can you handle this? Can you do this? And he says, look, I handle Twisted Sister. I think I can handle Floyd. So it's really great. You know, you get a few kind of wings moments in here, which is good. Um, There is a a car in this. There's some pretty good stunt work in this, too, I want to say. You know, for a lower-budget film, they got some good money out of their stunts. Um, Let me take a look at this, see if I can find who did the stunts here, because... Bob Ivey, you know, uh, stunt coordinator. John Stewart is his name. Oh, man. Oh, what do you know? I'll tell you what. Two things. John Stewart has an amazing IMDb photo. Um, he's kind of squatting down in a Canadian tuxedo with a guitar in his hand and long hair. But listen to this. Uh, he worked on The Hidden. He did the stunts on The Hidden. So there you go. I guess maybe that's kind of where I got that vibe from. So I'm not just another pretty face after all. Um, but this car gets a, a major, major air. I mean, it's impressive. You know, you see a lot of stunts and car crashes and things like that. This car gets air. And I feel like you get the sense from this film. It's, you know, for a, you know, not like a Z-grade film, but like for a lower budget or a mid-range budget film for the era. Everyone's pros. The actors are pros. Master Rackus knew what he was doing. The stunt works great. It moves along. Um... There's a green chick in this with a knife that I said was awesome. I don't know what that means now, but at the time I must have really enjoyed it. Um, and then uh, Wings. Uh, oh, I, my note was what I said earlier about Wings. Wings isn't Seagal. He'll take kind of flawed roles and will, roles where he's going to get banged around and beat up a little bit, which is good. And it also feels a little like The Thing because there's some paranoia and back-end stuff that you know, who can you trust? Has this person been infected? And, and it works, it works pretty well. I think, you know, small town, it works very well. The, the sparse locale, it, it proves effective. A lot of explosions. This feels like an AK jam, HK jam, Hong Kong jam with these bullets, a lot of bullets and explosions. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it brings it, man. It, it's pacey, you know, it keeps on trucking. It, it's a fun little film, and maybe it doesn't fit the atmosphere for some people who are looking for a horror film, but people that listen to our show, uh, I think if you trust our tastes, you know, I think you'll, you'll find, uh, you know, a lot to have fun with with this one. It's you know, not a Pantheon film, per se, but it's it's a fun little gem that uh, I'm glad I finally had a chance to see, because I'd, I'd seen this one kicking around, and I'd seen the cast, and, you know, you just never quite pulled the trigger on things, but... Uh, Thankfully, Mr. I almost said his last name, Mr. Jeremy, uh, programmed this one proper for me. So I'm going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back with one more film on this episode. And it's a very different film, much more contemporary. It is Horsehead. Not Horsecock. Horsehead. We'll be right back. They began in the water. 
dark, gliding shapes that violate every law of nature. They're not human, but they hunt human women. Not for killing, for mating. Humanoids from the deep, starring Doug McClure, Anne Terkel, and Vic Morrow. Humanoids from the deep, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. All right, we are back, and it's time to talk about some Horsehead. Um, this one is a very contemporary, in fact, it was released this year, uh, French horror film, programmed by Emily of uh, the Baltimore area. So her and uh, her man, Brian, long-time members of the community, great people, uh, they have excellent taste in all things film and otherwise. And, uh, you know, I try, truth be told, to pull back the curtain I try to ensure that it's not just a, a dick fest with a bunch of dudes programming films. I think it's interesting and it's important that we get some of our female um, community members involved, uh, you know, because to see how they're going to perceive horror and see what they would choose uh, is is going to be different. And you know, not to say all men or all women are, are the same, obviously, but. We're all snowflakes in our own way, but it's it's always uh, interesting for me to see what resonates with them. Um, and, you know, there's a film later on I'll talk about this month that really bowled me over that one of our Texas-based gents program that uh, falls into sort of a more emotional horror that I think um, if Emily hasn't seen, she would really dig. Um, but I'll talk about that later on. She's going to have to stay tuned for that one. Uh, so, yeah, this is a contemporary French horror film. Directed by Romain, ba- Romain Basset. And Romain Basset doesn't have a whole lot to his name. Uh, you know, a couple of shorts. And then this is his, his debut, his uh, feature length debut. Now, this has an eight, a 4.7 on, on IMDb, and I think that's a little low. Um, as you hear me talk about here, I don't think it's a perfect film, but it is a, it is a good film. And I think for a, 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 a debut film from someone, you can definitely do a lot worse. So the problem is when you have a debut film, a lot of times you're trying to get a lot of things out there. You're trying to put a lot on screen, ideas, influences, images, things that have been running around your mind and behind your camera and of your mind for a long time. Uh, and the way this film unfolds uh, in front of us really, it's, it could be a minefield for an inexperienced filmmaker because, and this is a really long um, summary. So I'll try to I'll try to pare it down here. Since her childhood, Jessica has been haunted by recurrent nightmares whose meaning escapes her. Uh, this peculiarity has led her to study the psychophysiology of dreams and to follow therapy with Sean, her mentor and boyfriend, trying to understand the origin of her nightmares. I'll leave it at that. Um, this gets into that that territory where you're dealing with dreams and you're dealing with. Um, dream logic at times and atmosphere and while you want your viewer to be on on uncertain footing and unsure ground and not knowing what's real and what's a fantasy sometimes when you're trying to pull that off from an editing perspective and as a newer filmmaker um it, it can be tough i mean it can really come off as a muddled incoherent mess and i think to the credit of Basset and company um they avoid a lot of those pitfalls you know, well, like I said, I don't think this is a perfect film. I did find a lot to like with it. And I think that um, uh, Basse is definitely one I'll watch going forward to see what uh, what he can do here. Let me see uh, in terms of the editing. Uh, 
Oh wow, the editor's first uh, first uh, endeavor, Frederick Paul, and then uh, Bruno Vitti. Oh, that was production design. Okay, so here we go, Bruno Vitti, uh, French uh, production designer, which they get a lot of good, a lot of good value in this film. He he worked on a Prophet, Un Prophet. He worked on the Horde. Um, you know, he's a guy that definitely uh, has been around in terms of uh, being able to add a little value there. Um, the DOP, Vincent Villar Baron. He's worked a fair bit, but it looks like a lot of kind of, I don't want to say for hire stuff, because everything is really for hire, but uh, he doesn't seem to be one of these very specific uh, cinematographers that takes on a certain kind of... He works. I mean, he's done a lot of shorts and things. He's honed his craft, and, and it's paid off. He's experienced uh, enough now that to stretch things out full length, he can really get a look and a feel for his film. Um, the I do want to talk about, too, uh, casting in this film. I think the central performance is... Serv- it's good. It's not great uh, from Lily Fleur Pointeau. But, you know, uh, I think all in all, she doesn't grate on us. And she's on the screen a lot in this film. So you really have to kind of get behind her and not feel like she's just this wilting, obnoxious flower. Uh, some, I guess, Euro, not stunt casting, but a kind of little nod to Euro horror of years past. Katrina McCall shows up in this as her mother, which, uh, you know, was a nice little, a nice little uh, touch. And then uh, Philippe Nahon, of course, French character actor, uh, kind of the, um, what can we say? I'm not, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head to compare him to. In Lionel Standards, <laughs> kind of a terrible comparison. Um, but he's uh, he was an Irreversible. He was the lead in I Stand Alone. He was in High Tension, Brotherhood of the Wolf. A very accomplished uh, French actor who he probably could have been in the film a little bit more. But you know, he he had some class to the the proceedings as well. Um, as well, another performer who I liked quite a bit in the film was uh, an Algerian-French actor, Fouad Atou, I guess is his name. Um, my Algerian's not what it used to be, so forgive me. Uh, and, you know, as well as the, the few others in the cast that uh, that worked out quite well. Um, but the biggest thing with this film is the imagery. The imagery is very strong. It, uh, you know, for a film that you want to have strong atmosphere, you want to ensure your imagery uh, is is going to pack a punch. Um and a lot of times you need to deserve everything to be on board to work to help give you that. You need the technical stuff from the cinematographer. You need your lighting, your production design. This director has to have a vision. And all these people really pulled this off, I think, relatively well. Um, we get a great aerial train shot early on in the film. The sun kind of peeking through some valleys. And it's just, it looks quite nice. Again, adds uh, some value to the film. Um, one of the good things, I think, that... Um, we get from the film with our lead, with Basset's lead, De Pointeau, is she has a really good, a vulnerable, expressive face, which is going to serve her well. I said she was in Ronin, and she's not that old. She was, what, nine years old in Ronin, so she had, I can't remember if it was Renault had a daughter in that or someone did, but anyway, um, she has a good expressive face, works well. The film takes on a lot of kind of... Uh, bizarre angles and candlelight and slow camera work and it's a relatively quiet film but I think it has enough in its bag of tricks uh, to work well in spite of it feeling a little bit stagey I mean this could you know work as a theatrical production I think in some ways but 
I don't know how much of that is, is intentional and it's trying to evoke that that atmosphere, kind of kabuki theater, the, the Japanese theater feel that we get with Kuroneko and Kwaidan and a lot of other films from the Japanese uh, that came around, you know, in the 60s and 50s and so forth. Um, the uh, the film, too, you know, it, it's pretty brutal in spots. Some of the dream sequences are, are pretty nasty. Um, there's some, you know, pretty heavy gore. I think that the titular horse head in this doesn't really work for me. Um, curious about the choice of that, if there's some sort of a metaphor there, or there's a, a what the horse uh, is meant to embody in dreams, uh, or if it's a personal thing, I, I don't know. But the horse head for me didn't work great, but otherwise, you know, bird cages and metronomes and lots of kind of things, is, you know, which work well. And when you have a dream world that's a really large sandbox, you can kind of throw a lot in there, but be careful what you wish for because you can also fall on your face trying to make it something that you don't have the skill or, or the budget to pull off. Um, now, some, as much as I've been praising the cinematography, some of it feels a little bit like an Unsolved Mysteries reenactment at times. Other times it's good, so I don't know if it was sort of second unit or, or what the story was there, but I found that a bit inconsistent at times. Uh, as we, It seems like we've had a lot of women in, in vulnerable kind of bathtub scenes lately between Deadly Blessing and this and I think a few other films too but we get that in this too which uh, it, it's just a powerful image you know because you're, you have a woman very vulnerable anyone lying in a bathtub relaxed legs open nude or just very vulnerable um, you know and it works well another film this reminds me of in some ways I think with the dream stuff and and layers and the aesthetic a little bit is the cell which uh, in another film that I think the style people tend to remember the uh, the style of that film, but I think all in all, at an era when horror film or genre film, uh, you know, it's kind of dry. You know, year two thousand. Uh, I think Tarsem Singh did a really good job with that film. All things considered, it's it memorable in some ways. Certainly, um, this film does a really good job with keeping us and our central character, of course, with sort of unsure footing. The anxiety starts to creep in, and we see some fractured relationships with her parents and sort of the emotional trauma there. And I think there's a lot being said about that throughout the film. And it's it's pretty heavy, it's pretty heavy stuff. I mean, I think again, that's why I have to wonder if this came from a very personal place, um, because it, it somewhat feels pretty honest and, and pretty emotionally raw. Um, speaking of uh, emotionally raw and you know Swedish film, which I think in my head I was thinking more than saying out loud, there's a Max von Sydow esque character in this. Um, it works relatively well. Uh, I was surprised, as a side note, how good Philippe Nahon's English was. Um, I don't know if he's exclusively worked over back home in France, but it's uh, very good. I do want to say, too, this film's in English, even though it's a French production, I think, for the interest of, of selling it, um, that you had a lot of European and French uh, people working on the film. One of the techniques I don't like that the film uses, it uses that, I don't know, um, I know Zack Snyder uses it a lot. It was very common, it was prevalent in a lot of horror films in the early 2000s, that sort of stop, start, fast forward, slow motion kind of movement you would see with the camera work. And it's a very dated technique, I think, now. It's almost like the Len Wiseman blue filter in Underworld. It's just been done so many times. It, 
if we hadn't seen it so much, the technique might work better, but it, it just doesn't work very well for me here. Um, you know, I feel like, and I don't mean this, this feels a little bit like lizard in a woman's skin with uh, this sort of black backdrop and these bizarre occurrences and stuff. In some ways, and, and I, I mean this respectfully to Basset, I feel like he's the poor man's uh, Peter Strickland in some ways with some of the what he's able to evoke with his settings and his production design and, and everything and get a lot out of it. And, you know, there's some, I think a lot being said uh, here. Religion, sort of the dark corners of religion, families, the dark corners and secrets of families have, and, you know, we get a wolf sort of character in this and Alice and Little Red Riding Hood. A lot of, a lot being swirled around here for the viewer to chew on. And um, I think earlier, forgive me, I was going to try to compare Lily Fleur Pointeau to someone I was going to say Imogen Poots. Um, because some pretty intense sewing needle trauma. And yeah, I, I spoke about the black cat earlier, ironically, but this, I think, nods to the black cat a little bit. Um, yeah, it's ambitious, it's serious-minded. All in all, I'll say this one's a treat. You know, it's not going to be for everyone. Some people who maybe aren't as concerned with aesthetics or atmosphere might not get as much mileage out of it as I did. But I think in an age when we always bemoan lack of originality and vision in horror film, you could do a lot worse than this, um, considering it's Basset's first film. The budget had to be a little bit lower. But he's got he's got some good people working with him. And I think another mark of a good director is being able to put good people around you to pull off your vision. So... That's it for the show for now. Uh, hopefully, if everything goes well, we're going to have another one out tomorrow where we're going to be uh, talking about uh, something very 80s, something very contemporary, something from a few years ago. And, uh, yeah, so uh, it should be good. Um, I will see you guys. Well, I guess I won't see you uh, for some time, some of you, most of you. But you will hear me very soon. Hope you're enjoying the black and orange season. Uh, and I guess, as always, there's one thing left to say, and that is, adios. All right, all right, you've been listening to the Midnight Ride with Lodge William, baby. Stay tuned for another episode where we bring the pumpkin to the pumpkins and the hangman's rope to the city Salaud a fait la peau, la peau du docteur.